These last uh, six, seven weeks, we've been journeying through the, the book of Mark in a series called This is the Gospel. And, um, and I know a lot of you maybe uh, have grown up and, and you've heard the word gospel and you have all different connotations of what that is. And, and really, the, the gospel is just this. It's the good news. Some of you, you've been turning on Fox and CNN and you know what? Today, you're like, you know what? I need to tune in to some good News, And so I hope that today is going to be an encouragement to you. And, uh, and if you're really excited today, I want you to go ahead and look at your neighbor and tell him your excitement level for today. And it's actually my title, but just go ahead and say, it's through the roof. I'm just so excited. I'm just through the roof, right? And I don't know what you think of when you hear the, the, the term through the roof. Uh, some of you, you know, maybe it's, uh, grocery and, and gas prices right now are through the roof, right? H- housing prices are just through the roof. Uh, you know, all, all sorts of, maybe your emotions today at about 425 when the Eagles are playing, the Cowboys are going to be through the roof. And maybe if you've, you've been like me and you, you've done some work on some, some old houses, you, you kind of feel like your foot is going to go through the roof. A couple uh, years ago, it was kind of funny that a man and I, we were uh, spending a Saturday out in, uh, in doing some work on our house and uh, we were power washing the siding and, and we got like the, the bottom of the, the house pretty, pretty decent. And so I decided, well, look at all this stuff up there. And so I climbed up on the roof in flip-flops with a power washer and, uh, and was power washing. I, I didn't say do this, all right? Don't, don't, like, just, don't take my example for this, but uh, I spent a couple hours up there and I, I know Amanda, she was like putting pictures on Instagram. Like, look how dumb my husband is, right? Look how dumb my husband, this is like, I'm just saving this for insurance purposes later, right? And, and what's funny is I, I was up there for a couple hours power washing and, and doing all this kind of stuff. Well, then later that day, um, we had to post a little different post uh, where we were at the doctor's office and there was a broken ankle involved. And um, the funny thing is, is she was getting messages like, oh no, Chris actually fell off the roof. What an idiot. But it wasn't my ankle. I didn't get hurt. She got hurt stepping off our patio and broke her ankle. <laughs> so I just thought, you know, a little poetic justice there. But um, luckily she, she got the walking boot and she was able to get around. But, you know, I, I, I don't know. When I, when I was praying through the scripture this week and, uh, and it Sometimes it's hard because we're going through passages that if you've grown up in church, you grew up in Sunday school, you've heard again and again and again, and the truth doesn't change. I just want you to go ahead and, and know that we believe that the word says what the word says. The truth does not change. It will not change. It will not compromise. It will not bow down to culture. It's, it's not going to change. The, the, the word says what the word says, but, but how can we take this and, and, and begin to apply it in, in a way that we can live out and where it's just not this stale, familiar thing and and so this morning, I actually prayed uh, very early this morning, late last night, that when we leave today, that the thing that would be through the roof would be our faith, our expectancy, and our passion to follow Jesus like never before. That whatever you think your lid is at right now, whatever you think that your capacity is at right now, no matter what kind of uh, playing level you've been on in your faith journey, that, that even today that you would be able to take one step higher, that you would go through the roof this morning. And so we're going to open up to Mark chapter two. I promised you we're seven weeks into this. I promised you we would get past chapter one. 
And if you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and open it up to, uh, to Mark chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 through 12. And just a little bit of context again. Every time that we open the Word, we don't want to just pick things out in isolation. We want to begin to examine what is the context, what is the, what is the, the surrounding story that's happening here so that we can actually engage this text in an honest and truthful way. And in chapter 1, uh, Mark, who is writing, he's, much of what he's writing has actually been uh, transcribed through Peter. He was, uh, it was John Mark who was a disciple of Peter. So much of what you're getting here is the firsthand experience of Peter transcribed through John Mark. And he is basically setting up the story of who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and honestly beginning to establish the ministry of what Jesus did in his first year's on the earth. And, and so we, we saw that Jesus went and he, he passed along the, side, the, the Sea of Galilee and he began to call some of his disciples. And then he went and, and he healed a man who was demon possessed. And, and then he went to Peter's house and healed Peter's mother-in-law. And again, that's some scholars say that that's the reason that Peter denied Jesus three times. But then we, we, we see that, that Jesus goes off and what he, he went and he said he had some time that he needed some isolation, that he needed to sit and seek the heart of God. And so even in the crowds that are coming after him, he departed very early in the morning and went off to a set place. And then he went out into the, the, the new cities, the new areas in Galilee, and he was preaching in, in the synagogues. He was casting out demons. He was healing people. And, and last week, what did we talk about? How Jesus cleansed a leper. And here we are that Jesus, uh, he, he told this man, don't say anything. But what did the man do? He told everybody, right? And so it said that Jesus could no longer uh, openly enter the cities, but he had to stay out into isolation, isolated places. And so now uh, scholars believe that between chapters one and chapter two, there's, there's a, a little bit of time that has passed by that has transpired in this. And it says this in verse one, and when he returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. Just go ahead and think paparazzi. This is like the who's who just came. to. It's like when Taylor Swift goes to a Chiefs game. Everybody in the world knows about it, right? And so he, he's come home. He was, he was trying to avoid some of the crowds for a little bit. They were coming to him out in the isolated, uh, deserted places. And it says this, that, that when he came home, many were gathered together because it was reported that he was there at his house, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And I love this, it said, and he was preaching the word to them. Now, now you got to understand the context of Jesus' ministry so far. That he has come and he's, he's proclaimed some of the gospel already. He's begun to begin, uh, you know, proclaiming that... that what you're learning, what you've been growing up on in this Jewish system, that, that's good for, for then, but there's something new that is happening now. And, and he's beginning to preach a little bit, but a lot of what he has done is he's gone and done physical ministry. He's gone and he's healed people. He's laid his hands on people. He's done great things. And, and what I love about this passage is that there is a crowd to hear him speak. That because of what he had done, it began to prove who he is. And so that they wanted to come and they wanted to hang on the words that Jesus said. And so it was him preaching the word to them that caused them to come where there was no more room, not even at the door. It's every preacher's dream, right? In verse three, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had an opening, they let him down 
the bed on which the paralytic lay. Now this just uh, for de- demonstration today, we actually have some guys. All right, you guys ready? We're going to go. No, see, we, we, that would be crazy. Like if we just, we would never be able to meet here again. All of a sudden we just start drilling through the roof and lowering down some guy on the mat. But you have to understand the context of what is happening here and the seriousness of the situation that there is these guys that they're here and they're like, hey, that, we, we want to get to that guy, but we can't get there. So the next best step is we're going to climb up on the roof in this culture, most of the houses, they would have uh, outside staircases that would walk them up around to the roof. Uh, many times in, in the, the cooler parts of the day, that's where they would spend some of their time. Uh, no AC. And, and so they would spend time up there. And, and what it was is there'd be um, some, some thatch and some, some branches and things that would be going across. And a lot of times they would actually put some, some mud, dirt, and sod over top. And so they'd actually have this, this nice open area on the top of the roof. And what's funny is on uh, Thursday, I was driving my kids to school and I, I pulled up to the edge of my street and I look over into my front yard and there's two guys down on their knees digging up my yard. And I have no idea who they are. And I'm already offended. I'm just imagining being in this house and someone's opening the roof. How I'm going to feel in this moment. So just put yourself in this situation right now where, where there's, there's Jesus who is teaching and now there's a hole in the roof. And if you're in this crowd, think about how crowded it was. If the roof starts coming down, you're probably getting some of that dirt and, and, and thatch kind of in your hair. And, and now it's a bad, now you got a shower tonight. Like it's a whole big deal. And it says, and when Jesus saw what? It wasn't when Jesus saw the man. It wasn't when Jesus saw the, the need It was when Jesus saw their faith. He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. And this is actually, uh, it goes back to the old covenant law in Leviticus 24, 16. It says that anyone who was caught uh, and tried for, for blaspheming against God and the word of God, they're to be put to death. And so this is actually the very moment that the death of Jesus begins to take place. That these men, these scribes, these Pharisees, these rulers of the law who had been controlling the Jewish uh, religion for all this time, they're, they're looking. And what I think is interesting, if there was no room in the house But the Pharisees and the scribes somehow got close enough. It meant that they probably got there early trying to find a reason, trying to find a fault. And what's interesting too is they were not wrong. Who who, who, who is able to, to forgive but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves. I I love this too that... um, in the original language in the Greek, you can actually, um, there's this word perceiving and, and, and it's, it's basically in this moment, it wasn't just that he kind of had an inkling, it's that he fully, forcefully sensed what was happening. Aren't you glad that Jesus could like read the room? You guys ever been in a church service where they, like the, the, the preacher can't read the room? You better not be thinking of here. <laughs> Somewhere long, long ago in a church far, far away, Right? But Jesus is here and he's, he's, he's getting ready to do something amazing. But I love that in this moment, 
He is perceptive to what's happening around him. He's not just so caught up in the word. I've been there. I've been there so many times. There's honestly times where I, when I first started preaching, I would just start preaching. And then I was like, there's people in the room. <laughs> Didn't even notice. I just went through my thing. But, but Jesus in this moment, he's, he's perceiving what is happening around him. And, and, and he's using this as an opportunity to prove even and of himself who he is. And so he responds to them. It says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise up, take your bed, and walk? But that you may know that the Son of God has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic. And this is like a command. This is, this is like, put yourself as a general uh, speaking to a soldier. This, this is a matter-of-fact statement. I say to you, rise Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. That's my prayer for every time we gather as a church that the presence of God would come in such a way that, that, that people who maybe you've, you've grown up in church, that it's not anything special about here, but that we are so open and inviting to the Holy Spirit to come, that whatever he wants to do, that we would leave amazed by, we have never experienced something like this. And so as I began to, to pray through this scripture, read through this scripture, and, and decipher what is it that God wants to speak to us today, there's, there's always this first lens that I want to kind of bring you in on. That in every passage that you look at in scripture, you should look for what it says about who God is and how we are to respond. And I see that as Jesus is going through this situation, you see so much of the character of God. You see so much of the heart of God, the care of God, the compassion of God. You see that he is the one who can speak and tell a man who has been paralyzed for many years to get up and walk. So if we can see a picture of who Jesus is in this moment, how are we to respond? You see, the theme of this, this, this scripture is, is, is proving who Jesus is, the power of Jesus, but it's also demonstrating what faith can do. That these men had nowhere else to go except to Jesus. The first thing I want you to write down this morning is this, faith isn't isolated. Faith isn't isolated. As you begin to read this scripture, you can see very clearly that paralytic man wasn't getting to Jesus on his own. That he had some, some, some people who were there who cared about him. Some people there who were willing to, to do what they needed to do to get this man to Jesus. That, that It just wasn't his own faith sitting on the side of the road that healed him. It was this moment where people who, who came along and said, you know what, we see this need. We see this hurt. How can we do something about it? We've got to get this man to Jesus. It wasn't this personal, isolated faith. It was a faith that cared for someone around them. 
And so many of us, we live this life of personal faith, staying personal. But personal faith includes the whole person. So that means that whatever you do, wherever you go, whoever you're with, they should see that you are a person of faith. With the people around you, in your workplace, in your family gatherings, in restaurants and places that you go to, could people look at you and say, hey, you know what? That person seems different. That person is a person of faith. In the storms and trials of your life, do people look at you and say, no, that is a person of faith. That is a person who believes in who God is. That's a tough question to wrestle with. When there's hurt around you, when there are needs around you, do people look at you and say, that's a person of faith? Look at them. It's not just an isolated person that's going in and just, just oh, I want to feel better about myself, so I go to church and I'll read my Bible study, but I'm not going to do anything else about the need around me. Is your faith isolated? In James chapter 2, it says this. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled, without giving them the things that they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. And some of you, I know you grew up in a different denominational background where maybe you were taught that you were saved by works. And I want to encourage you this morning, you were not saved by works. The only work that you're saved by is the work that Jesus did on the cross. But I am saying this, once saved, you should work. There should be some action to your faith. And it can't just be all about you and all about your life and all about what you need and all about what you want. It's got to be a faith that is looking around to the needs of the people around you saying, yes, I will do something about it. Is your faith isolated? Or is it compassionate and caring? Even through COVID, there's a lot of people that said, oh, oh, oh we, you know, we can just do this whole Christian thing on my own. But you cannot be a faithful follower of Jesus in isolation. Scripture actually implores you otherwise because there's this word aleleon. It means one another. And over a hundred times in the New Testament, this word aleleon is in Scripture. It's saying that we have things that we cannot do on our own to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. Even in the New Testament, when, when Paul and, and some of the, the epistles, they're talking about how the church should respond, how the church should act, how the church should look. There are 59 instances of this word. That we should love one another, care for one another, gather for one another, pray for one another, support one another. That we should do things not on our own, but we are the church together. So faith isn't isolated. The next thing I want you to write down is this. Faith is relentless. Faith is relentless. And this one, um, this one got me this week. This one got me this week because as you're looking through this passage and it, it says that these men, when they got there, there was no room, not even at the door and, and they're, they're coming and they couldn't even get near him because of the crowd. That would have been the perfect excuse for many of us to say, okay, we tried, let's go home. We'll get him next time, bud. This is usually the very moment that we begin to say, oh, it just must not be 
It must not be meant to be. It's just not how it's supposed to go. But this is not the way that true faith is. Faith is relentless that when God gives you a word, when God gives you a promise, when God gives you a declaration, when God gives you a command, that you are going to see through it no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what it costs you. Faith is relentless. And um, I say this with the utmost care and respect. But we have a lot of wimpy Christians. And I've been there. We have a lot of Christians who it, it, it's fine and dandy to post things on your Facebook wall. But when life gets lifey, when things get hard, when it's actually going to cost us something, when it's actually going to require us to make a change in our life that is inconvenient? Oh God, how dare God make my life inconvenient? We get, begin to back away. We look at the obstacles as a reason to quit when the obstacles are a reason to see the power of God, that even as you uh, work to overcome the obstacles, the trials, the hurdles, the things that are, are in front of you, that you can see the power of God work through it. And maybe that's the very thing that God is waiting to see. It's when he, they lowered him through the roof that, the, that Jesus saw their faith and began to act. You don't think Jesus knew that they were out in the distance outside of that courtyard? If he can discern the heart of what the Pharisees and scribes are thinking in their, their own minds and hearts, don't you think Jesus knew that that guy was out there? And don't you think Jesus could have just said, oh, hey, yeah, 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 you're healed. No, it was waiting. he was waiting to see their faith, their desperation, their boldness, the resiliency that no matter what, they were going to keep going on to get this man to Jesus. It's resilient. You know, faith isn't faith until it's tested. It's just a theory. And so many times we, we, we pray against testing we, we pray against hardship. We pray against struggle. And that's the very moment that we find out, are we really made of what we think we are? That's why my dad, uh, I'll quote him. He's the one who says, he, there's moments that he prays for more persecution to come against the church in America. And hear me clearly, not because he likes persecution, but because it causes us to actually step up and say, are we really about this or not? It gets us to this point where we say, do we really believe this or, or, or do we not? Is this just good when it's, when it's fine and dandy or is this something that we actually put our, our hope and our trust and our faith in? I say this all the time. It's not going to get easier to follow Jesus in the culture the way it's headed. Some of us, we're going to have to be resilient we're going to have to be rel relentless in our pursuit. True faith doesn't give up in hardship. It makes a way. It finds a way. It digs a hole. It goes through the roof. In 1 Corinthians 15, there's this scripture that maybe you've heard. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? For the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who always gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right, right, right. But right after that, it says this. Therefore, because of that, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So that we can trust 
that he's removed the power of death. He has shattered the power of the law by fulfilling the law through his perfect life and sacrifice. And so he says, now, because of this, be steadfast, be immovable. Keep doing the work that I've called you to do. Be relentless. How relentless is your faith this morning? Is it hanging by a thread? I want to give you good news. Faith is only as strong as the object it's put in. Faith is only as strong as the object that it is placed into. And so if you, you're, this morning, you're, you're sitting here and you're saying, I'm hanging by a thread. My faith is hanging by a thread. Here's the good news. You don't need to believe more. You just need a clearer picture of Jesus. You just need a clearer understanding of Jesus and the power of God, that it's not about how hard you believe, how hard you can work it in your mind to trust in God. It's not that you just need a better revelation of who God is. You need a, a new word, a fresh word in your life so that when things come against you, you don't have to give up because you already know who Jesus says that he is. Imagine if they did all of this just to get to another good teacher. <laughs> Could you just imagine like they just go and it's just like Rabbi Joe and there's like a crowd because he speaks, you know, and he's got a you know, good, good flow and he's, he's like got good, some good reels on Instagram and stuff. So he, he built a crowd. But all of a sudden, like they come in, they're like, oh, we can't get to him. And, and, and they start like knocking a hole in the ceiling. They lower this guy down. He's like, cool, I got nothing for you. Could you imagine that? I can, because that's so much of the way we live. We think we're putting our faith in Jesus. But what if we're not? What if we're putting our faith in the system and structure that we've grown up in? What if, what if we're not even putting our faith in Jesus? What if we're putting our faith in the church? Oof. What if we're just putting our faith in, in, in religion? And what if we're just putting our, our faith in, in, in being optimistic? And what if we're just putting our faith in, in the quotables and things that we see all over the place? Are we really putting our faith in Jesus or not? if you're really putting your faith in Jesus, I just go ahead and pose the question, how often are you seeking him? How often are you actually getting into his word and beginning uh, to receive the truth and, and declare the promises and, and begin to study through the word and actually absorbing it? Sometimes I think we just have faith in faith. That if we just kind of believe hard enough in whatever fairy tale that we imagine our life's gonna turn out to be, and then when the first hurdle comes at us, we, we, we fail and we fall and we, we turn away and we blame God and we say, oh, he, he just must not have been a good as we thought he was. So today the reality is this, is it's not about believing more, it's about getting a better picture of God, drawing near to him and saying, yes, Jesus, I put my faith and trust completely and totally in you and you alone on Christ, the solid rock, I stand all other ground, it is sinking sand. I can't put my trust in how hard I can believe. I just got to see a better picture. I got to get a better revelation. I got to get a clear understanding of who Jesus is. The other thing that we see in this story, which I just want to go ahead and preface this. When I say story, I'm not like defining this as like a narrative that was written, that was made up. This is truth. This is actually something that happened. 
You ever like approach the Bible and you start to realize that, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm kind of treating this like a Disney novel. And this isn't a Disney novel. This is actually truth of what happened, that our God stepped out of heaven. He came to earth, that he lived a perfect life, that he healed many, that he set demons aside out of people. He healed sickness. He did all of these things. He said what he said. He proclaimed it. It's true. It happened. But I love, I love, 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 love this. <laughs> Jesus knows the greater need. Come on, somebody just write that down. Jesus knows the greater need. Look at this passage. Look at this story that they're bringing. Like the whole title of this little section of scripture is that Jesus heals a paralytic. So what is this man's problem? He's paralyzed. He can't move on his own. He actually has to have four men pick him up and carry him over to Jesus and lower him down through the roof. So his problem has got to be that he's paralyzed, right? But when they see the faith, when Jesus sees their faith, what, is they, what do they say to him? He says, son, your sins are forgiven. So what this tells me is this. Forgiveness was the greater issue. Jesus is saying the spiritual needs are primary. You, you, you think it's the outer circumstance that needs healed, but what if it's the inner circumstance that needs changed? What if your inner perspective that needs to be shifted? What if it's the, that your heart that is covered in guilt and shame? What if you just need to be forgiven? Jesus knows the greater need, and it's so funny to me because I'm putting myself in, in this situation here, and I'm just, it'd be like if you were missing an arm, but all of a sudden it's like I fix your cholesterol. Like, that's what it would feel like, right? Like, Jesus, that's cool. I'm glad that you're saying I'm forgiven, but really, like, can't move here. But he says this, oh, if I fix the heart first. Oh, if I get at the inside first. When you walk, you're going to walk in freedom. And you're going to walk in the right direction. And you're going to go in the right places. And you're going to seek after me. And you're going to know where to go. And you're going to know how to respond. Because I'm going to get at the heart first. But if you can walk and your heart is heavy, you're going to walk with a downward gaze. Wondering, can I ever make it? Can I ever survive? Will I ever be forgiven? I'm not worthy of this. And, and I love that Jesus knows the greater need. He's got to get at the heart of the issue first. Some of you, you've been waiting for God to shift the outer circumstances of your life. I just need more money in the bank. I just need a new job. I just need this physical healing. I just need this relationship. I just need something, whatever it is going on. And Jesus is saying, what if I got to get to the heart first? What if I have to shift your perspective first? What if I have to draw you through your hardship to come closer to me? And then when he looks at you and, he, and you're like, yeah, 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 my bank account's in the red. But he's like, yeah, but you're forgiven. I'd much rather have no money in the bank than a red deficit spiritually. Jesus knows the greater need. That's hard sometimes. That is hard sometimes. But the truth of it is this. Jesus fixed the inner issue first, but not only. He says, I want to fix your heart. I want you to know that you're forgiven. And then these scribes, these Pharisees, they look and say, who are you to say that sins are forgiven? Only God can forgive. And he says, yeah, you're right. 
but just to show you the authority that the Father in heaven has given me, which, which is easier for me to say, for, for this man to get up, that you can actually see what happened, the effects of what I say, or, or to say that your sins are forgiven, because I could just say words that I have no power to carry out, but you're going to see today the power of God that as I speak, I'm going to tell this man, hey, pick up your mat, get up and walk. You've been healed. You've been restored. You've been forgiven. And some of you this morning, I think that you're in this spot where Jesus looks at you and says, hey, you've been forgiven. You've been redeemed. You, yeah, yeah that, that, that price, I paid that. And I think there's some of us that Jesus is looking and say, hey, t- take up your mat and walk. But we're still lying there. Because we can't get past the first part. That he would forgive me. That he would set me free. He'd want to heal me. He, 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 want, he wants me to be restored. The truth is he does. And it can't start with the outside. It's got to start with the inside. It's got to start with the heart. It's got to start with him doing an inner work in your life. And 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19, it says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of living handed down to you by your ancestors. But with what? But with only the precious blood of Jesus Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. What that is saying is this. It's, it's not about... You, you, you come in and make in the sacrifice. It's not about you having the resource. It's not about you being able to do this on your own. It's only through the blood of Jesus Christ you can be redeemed. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, it's for, by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of yourselves. It is the work of God so that no man may boast. It's not in and of yourself. And as we wrap up this morning, I just want to ask a question. And this is really the heart of it. If, if we're like really being honest, like that, the, the whole first part of this, this is good, but this is really the heart that I feel like the Holy Spirit wants us to sit in for a moment is this question, where do you fit in this story? I'm not talking about eisegesis and, and you've got to put yourself as, no, I'm not talking about placing, I'm just saying from a metaphorical standpoint, where do you fit in this story? And from the way I can see it, there are four different groups of people. Number one is the scribes and the Pharisees. They got there early. They wanted that front row seat. But there they are with a cynical heart, judging, unbelieving, critical spirit. So much of the church has gotten this way. And I get it. There's a lot of nonsense that happens on TV. There's a lot of nonsense that happens on YouTube. And it's like one of my favorite accounts is this account called The Holy Nope. I know it's just, it's just like a bunch of random, terrible, you know, out of context scriptures applied. And, and there's a, I get it. There's a lot of nonsense out there. But someone, so many of us, we've become so cynical that when God actually moves, we wouldn't recognize it. We would dismiss it as just craziness. So are we approaching things from a cynical spirit? Are we approaching things from the openness of God? If this is you, I want to be a part of it. So are you sitting in the seat of a scribe and a Pharisee? The second is this, and I'm going to just go ahead and tell you that this is probably where most of us are. We're in the crowd. 
We're here to observe, we're here to hear. Hoping we can see a sign or two. And we'll be amazed, we'll be astonished, we'll we'll do all of that. But you know what happened when Jesus gets crucified? That crowd severely dissipates. And you know what even about this crowd is that they were observing Jesus out of self-interest. But there was a need right behind them. There was a man who needed to be healed who couldn't get in because the crowd was standing there just so focused on what they wanted to see, what they wanted to take in. And so much of the church is exactly this way. We are so focused on what can we come in on a Sunday morning and get out of it for ourselves and ignoring the needs, the hurts, the brokenness that is all around us, the mission that God has called us to do. We live our life in this crowd mentality that we're here to observe God move, but never actually partake in it. So are you a part of the crowd? The third group is this, carriers. The carriers, and I love this picture that these men, they they were faithful in the mission. They were relentless in their faith. And they were putting their faith in Jesus, that Jesus was the one that we're going to tear a a hole in the roof. We're going to go through the roof so that we can get this man to Jesus. That whatever the cost is, whatever it takes. And so many of us, we stop when someone says they don't want our church invite card. And we think that must be the sign to give up. Or when we post a scripture and it doesn't get as many likes on our Instagram. So we just got to go back to our other things. But are we really carrying the gospel, the mission, the purpose that God has for us? Do we really recognize the needs all around us that God has called us not just to be observers, but to be ones that are carrying people to Jesus no matter what it takes? Sure, they turned me down the last time. Sure, they didn't want to come to church the last time. Sure, they didn't want to come to community group. Sure, they didn't want to talk about Jesus. Sure, they didn't want to hear about it then. Sure, they didn't like my post that time. But you know what? I will not stop. I will not cease praying. I will not quit and give up on the fact that Jesus loves them, has a plan for them, and wants to see them through their brokenness, through their hurt, and through their needs. Are we going to be carriers for the mission, for the kingdom? I, I love this too, is... Um, this is the way my brain works. If you're going to pick up a dude on a mat, what does that look like? You better have some empty hands. You're going to have to set down some of the things that you've got going on. You're going to have to walk away from the, the things that you were doing to go over here and say, you know what? I'm going to put my all into this. And I'm going to put in both hands into this mission, into this this calling that I have, that I'm going to get this man to Jesus. Some of you have friends and family members that are so far from Jesus right now. You have people, neighbors, coworkers that are hurting and broken that need only Jesus. That's what they need. They don't need their bank account restored. They don't need their their, their limb restored. They don't need the cancer gone right now. That's good and all. That's stuff that needs to happen at some point. But primarily, they need Jesus. And so are you willing to set aside your own priorities to pick up the mat and carry them and get them there no matter what it takes? Are you willing to change your schedule? Are you willing to change your budget? Are you willing to change everything about your life to get people to Jesus? Do we really believe that that's what matters? Do we? Or is it something that's nice to fit in that we can pat ourselves on the back when we do something good every once in a while? The fourth 
is this. Some of you in this room, you are spiritually paralyzed. You're in need of forgiveness and a touch from Jesus. And the good news is this. You don't have to go to a certain place to find him. You don't have to dig through the roof. You don't have to search. You don't have to run all around and hope that he's not hiding out in the isolation. You don't have to hope that he's not in another village, another town, another place. No, he is here. See, Jesus did the work where he stepped out of heaven to come and make himself accessible to all of us. So today, if you were spiritually paralyzed, if you were saying, you know what, I don't have that relationship with Jesus, or maybe you're saying, you know what, I do have a relationship with Jesus, but I've been far too long sitting in my own hurt, sitting in my own brokenness, sitting in my own unforgiveness today, I just want to let you know that Jesus is calling out to you. And this is your moment. This is your opportunity to say, you know what? It's time to put my faith and trust in you, Jesus. I'm tired of living the same whole way I've always been living. I want to put my hope in something that is lasting and firm. I want to have faith that is strong because of who it's in, not because of how hard I believe. So with every eye bowed and every head, every head bowed and eyes closed, I can't talk, I promise. If that's you this morning, and some of you... you just, just take this moment to welcome the goodness of God, the peace of God, the healing of God. That just like that song saying is that, that his goodness ran after you, that his mercy ran after you. Ask the Holy Spirit to reveal what is it that you need to change? What is it that you need to shift today? Some of you, you've been living with a veil over your eyes, laying down on that mat when Jesus is saying, get up. It's time to live again in me. Stop seeking the ways of this world and seek my heart. But for those of you who would say, you know what, I don't have a relationship with Jesus in that way. Maybe I've come to church my whole life. Maybe I've, I, I, I've thought that, but maybe I'm realizing today, you know what, my faith isn't that relentless. And if that's you this morning, I want to give you an opportunity to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior to be your hope, security. And it's not about the words that you pray, it's about the posture of your heart that you actually surrender and submit yourself to Jesus today. So if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer. You can just say it silently after me, just say, Dear Jesus, today I acknowledge that I am spiritually paralyzed that I am a sinner in need of saving. Jesus, I believe that you came, that you lived a perfect life that I could never live, that you were hung upon a cross and you died in my place. And I believe that three days later, you rose again in victory. And Jesus, today I receive your forgiveness. I receive your life and I confess you as Lord over my life. Holy Spirit, come and fill me. Make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. 
if that's you this morning and you prayed that prayer for the first time, we want to help you. We want to come alongside you. And so there's no pressure here. There's actually, this is going to be a, a joyful moment. If that's you, then I'm going to ask you on the count of three, just to lift your hands. Somebody's going to come and give you a, a card and a Bible that we can help you with, that we want to get you to your next step. But if that's you, I just want you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Anybody in here that you prayed that, I see your hand. Anybody else that prayed that this morning? Amen. Amen. We're going to spend a few moments in a song. And uh, we talked about how your, your faith, the measure of your faith is only in what it's in, right? As we sing this song, this is a declaration of who we serve, of why we gather. You did, I, I really hope you didn't just come into this place to hear me talk for 30 minutes. I recognize that, um, trust me, I, I say this a lot, but every single time before I walk out here, I get face down on the ground, face down on the ground, because I know I recognize the power of this is not in what I say, it's in the power of God and the presence of God coming here in this place. And so this morning, I, I hope that's not what you came for. I hope that you came to see a better picture, a better revelation of who Jesus is, to get a, an encounter of the Holy Spirit so that you can be renewed and changed and transformed, so you can come and worship and offer praise back to him. And this, this song, I'm telling you, it's a picture of who we belong to, of who we serve, of who we worship. So church, I want you to sing it, to receive it, to believe it, to put your faith in it that he is who he says that he is. Let's worship today, church.